Clyde and across Cambridge. Your station, your Cam FM. Hello, and hopefully you're, um, well, you know what's going on a bit better than we do right now, because we're, we're just getting back into the swing of things here in the studio. Uh, that song was picked by Will, so I'll let him explain his choice. That was uh, High by Sap from the 2006 album, The Only Thing I Ever Wanted. Um, I mostly chose it because it was a welcome back song, but um, also the whole, like, Sap's whole me- mechanical sounding Toytronica thing reminded me slightly, tenuously, of um, a series by Charles Strauss I just finished reading the Merchant Princess series which is set in a number of parallel worlds some of which are somewhat behind ours um, I think it was set out to be a fantasy series but it ended up kind of being into world trading into as in it between parallel universes into world exactly so in this one we're far, we're far ahead of them of the others in science so we can give them technology it's always quite odd to see how people seem to either do that we're far advanced of everyone else or far behind everyone so we never seem to be in the middle um Hmm, spoiler alert. But no, like, I, th- I guess it's because if you had, you know, two relative equals trading, there wouldn't be, or, you know, trading or fighting or so on and so on, it wouldn't actually have much dramatic potential. Oh, it's just when you look at something like Star Trek, or we're normally, like, mostly the most advanced. There are a few characters that are more advanced, and if they are, they're not really, well, I suppose they destroy the story of Star Trek. Mm. I can only think of Q, who is just, can do anything he feels like, and generally aloof, and then there's the Borg, which slowly got downrated as the series went on. I guess there's a, the problem with having everyone be super advanced or super behind is that there's... Well, if you, if you go too far to that extreme, then there's, there's, there's also no drama because people can't relate and it becomes a, you know, stranger in a strange land. Woo! Trying to talk to ants. So, um, I've, by the way, I've just looked up and it's running. The webcam is terrifyingly pointing at us now rather than our backs. So, um, yeah, if you want to... Um, Look at us. You can look at us with a webcam. I, I just find the whole thing completely terrifying now. Of course, if if you've also if you've been watching anything interesting, reading anything interesting that you think we should talk about, um, which we can't promise we've seen, but we can see, then maybe you can send us a message from the website. Yep, or you can email in at studio at camfm Great. Okay, so we're going to go straight into our next track. Uh, this is links into what I've been doing for a short while, and um, I hope you enjoy it. I enjoy the song.
on air, online and across Cambridge. Your station, your Cam FM. And yes, that was um, Icarus from the Deus Ex Human Revolution soundtrack. I nearly got that wrong. Were you going to go for a human invisible war revolution? Yeah, something like that. Or human dance dance revolution. <laughs> that, that, that is a game that needs to be made. Um, so for people who don't know, Deus Ex must have come out a long, long time ago, the original. I think it was game of the year in about 2001 or something. So... Um, Ancient. But that it was a it was a game that did very very well for sort of combining a shooter format with um, role playing sort of elements. So you got to choose where the game went a bit more, and things you did had some sort of impact on the story. Like if you let someone die, they wouldn't be there to chat to you later. Um, you can get endless debates in the pub about whether it was an RPG or whether it was a first person shooter. Uh, I really don't care. But what I did think was it was a great game, and it. I think we had one of the most awful plots ever if it wasn't the fact that it was just so bold with doing it which was it's about a global conspiracy that wants to take over the world one of the, one of the things I thought was interesting about the game and about people's reviews of it uh, so many years later is that um, there were actually there were actually a lot of things about the original Deus Ex which weren't very good the graphics were awful um, the plot was it felt really cliched some of the voice acting was really wooden and yet it's almost universally agreed to be a classic but wasn't that because it was just a great format you, it was a game which let you multi-path when all the other games were sort of going to the Half-Life 2 idea where you walk down a corridor and you keep walking down a corridor and the corridor's very pretty but you never get lost because you're always trying to find the next corner but, I mean I played through Half-Life 2 because that one time was a great game and I just didn't get it it was pretty terrifying um, I, I got I got away through it and then there were face crabs leaping up in my face and that was just not, not enjoyable whereas Deus Ex gave it, it was really well executed in a multi-path and it made you feel quite involved in what the characters were up to. I think the other thing which was great about it was that very early on, within the opening sequence, you're basically told killing people is bad, which was such a different idea than most other games. But they actually said, you shouldn't really go around killing your other human people because they're human too. And I, I think that's what made it stand out, was the fact that your actions, whether you kill people, does have an act later on in the game how people react to you I mean yeah it's the ending's probably a bit predictable it is a bit unusual in fact that it's 10 seconds before the apocalypse rather than post-apocalyptic hmm so how, so how many of the good qualities were carried forward to the, the latest incarnation so yeah so Human Revolution came out this month last, last month for you now yeah pretty and recently. it was so what we've done is carry actually pretty much everything that made me enjoy the first game across so you're still crawling through air vents you still you get the first mission it doesn't sort of force onto you ethics but it says do you want to use lethal or non-lethal force and you get to choose that you can stealth but it's not stealth like some games where if you make a mistake you immediately die it then goes into a more open combat situation where you get to try and control the situation take out the alarm system for people running from other rooms so it's got that multi-path you explore because you want to you can hack as many computers as you like to find out more information even if it's who's been putting a dirty screensaver on someone else's computer comes up at one point the guy's very fed up with it and you can find all the people laughing behind his back around the building oh so they've put a, a, a bunch of totally irrelevant details in, into the world just to help, just to build it as, as a place where real people might live and with yeah. concerns that everyday people might have felt as opposed to just uh, augmented cyborgs um, walking around killing each other yeah so when you walk into an office box there are actually offers with really mundane emails on it Hmm. Uh, I, and that's what I think builds the world because there has been this thing towards just pretty corridors rather than having nicer 
sort of you know nice environments you explore and it's that exploration that makes it interesting uh the plot is still thick with conservative theories the illuminati come up several times probably not as bad as the original but doesn't pretend it's, it's heading to you know it's that's the other thing slightly weird it's a prequel but it doesn't feel like a prequel so it's, a, so, it's a, so it's a prequel, but the fact that people who've played the original game know how the original game goes doesn't get in the way of the plot. It's not. It's nothing at all because it's set. So, so this is something we didn't mention about the, the original. Is it's set in a world where human augmentation is just starting to take off? When the original, it's it's standard, and this is the idea that if you lose an arm, you get a robotic arm to replace it. And at the eve of a giant break press conference where your company's going a giant breakthrough, uh, your company gets attacked by some people and loads of people get killed. You barely survive and you have both arms and legs replaced in your heart and you go for a massive reconstruction process. And there's then this whole storyline going through. Is it people sort of questioning whether this is ethical, whether it's acceptable, whether it's taking evolution to our own hands. And that's one thing I found rather odd the whole way through was the idea that somehow augmentation is evolution because to me it isn't it seems pretty much the antithesis of it it yes it's it's, it's, it's directly con- controlling someone's development by replacing parts of them yeah and the question was whether it gave an individual too much power and other things like that and there were some poignant side effects talked about like people who had been in an accident having to have limbs replaced were then required a drug to stop uh, rejection syndrome. Which is, of course, not, not not too far from people who have transplants today. Yes, but the problem was the drug was expensive and you basically, there was no NHS in the story because it's set in America. So this is basically a powerful argument for uh, not not reforming so- socialised healthcare or something. Well, at the moment it would be in this country might be a comment, but it was more the point that if you force someone, the negative side of forcing someone on this therapy was clearly the fact that it would affect their lives greatly where not having a leg you could live where you if you did get the augmented leg you'd be dependent on a company hmm. and that that was the sort of things that people are the sort of things that come through the game there's a lot of techno babble where they i think they've taken techno babble up a level in the game like they've really gone and found some really great words to throw in there but it's still nonsense i saw a few um trailers for it which which which, which actually looked just like they would be they were real biotech press releases and su- su- scenes of protest outside them oh yeah i mean that that's where it's the artwork on the signs and stuff like that of the fictional biotech is incredible and I mean, you walk around labs and you, you end up in a lab with fume hoods and everything, but I did find it amusing that you're this sort of super soldier wearing a black trench coat and you walk into a lab for the scientists and they just assume you're the normal security. I, I mean, I, you spent more time, more time in labs than I have. Uh, I've never seen someone in a lab with a trench coat on. N- nor have I. And the other thing was gun turrets and security cameras all over. Now, I accept security cameras. I think we have some in our department. but f- well, gun- well, we, we have one in here, right? Yeah. Hi, Internet. <laughs> but these gun turrets are the size of a small car. Not exactly inconspicuous. Yeah, and it's just like, I, I don't know, but if I was suddenly discovered them turning up at work, I would think I was working for an evil, you know, secret organisation. Might ring some alarm bells. Yeah. But overall, it's it's a, it's a lovely fantasy. It's lovely in the way it has city hubs. You explore the city, so you get to explore someone's uh, possibility for future. Why is the future always so dark is probably one of my questions. I saw, I saw a great article recently on complaining about why all films made in the past 10 or 15 years have this kind of very strong blue and orange tints. So the film looks very dark and those two colours are highlighted. Yeah, and uh, most noticeably in Tron 2 where they're either blue or orange where they could have picked any colour. 
but 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 there was some kind of justification because you know that those two are complementary colors, I think. Uh, And and the tools these days have made it really easy to try and you know add drama and impact to a scene by just like messing with the color profile. But it looks awful because it's in every single movie. Mm, On the flip side, because I'm so used to it, I think films just don't have that look strange. (laughs) That's terrible. Kind of sad. So, um, so what's coming up next? Coming up next is um, a band who were at the uh, mini festival Wish You Were Here yesterday in Cambridge.
online and across Cambridge. Your station, your Cam FM. Okay, that was Squid Cat Battle by Nedre. Yeah, Nedre are a three-piece something band from London. Um, they, they, so they were, there was a mini festival in Cambridge for those of you who either don't live here or were in the process of moving in and didn't know, know about it yesterday uh, at the Portland Arms and a couple other venues. Um, this was the worst, well, not publicised, but ex- if you want to know where things were on, it was impossible to find out. It was very, it was very difficult to find out um, the, the schedule in advance. There was a schedule on their MySpace page which didn't match reality at all. Um, and then when the schedule was published in the book, the um, schedules were rearranged almost immediately afterwards. But yeah, I was actually I, I, I snuck out of a gathering to go see Nedry, who were incredible. Um, although the room was quite empty, which was a shame. Um, but um, while I was doing so, there was a rather famous uh, television show being broadcast, the final episode of a season. Yeah, it w- that would be a certain um, gentleman who, as far as I can work out, neither has a PhD or a medical degree, but he is a doctor. I think there was an episode ta- tackling the meaning of the word doctor. Yeah, well, this is where it gets into it. Also, I think he says he has multiple medical degrees at one point, just uh, before someone emails and correct me. But, uh, yeah, about mid-season, someone pointed out that Doctor has two meanings. And, I mean, I don't really go with this storyline because their TARDIS are meant to be translating everything all the time and it's a really bad translator if it gets it wrong. But it's the idea in some places he's called a fearful... Doctor means fearful warrior or something along or powerful warrior. And... But that, that reminded me, of course, the doctor does actually have two words in our language, but you've got the doctor as in the medical doctor, but if you're doctoring something, that's actually something bad. Oh, interesting. So, well, because I, I, you can see how that might have that might have sprung from originally being being used to mean doctoring something to fix it, and then over time that developed into meddling with something, which, which you know, meddling with a document or meddling with statistics. Or time and space. Or both at once, sometimes. Yeah, well, I think... So... Yeah, I, I was. I heard a lot of people quite unhappy with how it ended, but I thought it went quite well, considering it was an impossible uh, sort of thing to finish. His this whole, I never really got this whole fixed point in time concept with Doc Two. I get the feeling it's a MacGuffin to stop them from having to, you know, be able to change things that would otherwise go horribly wrong. Oh, so they've, they've invented some some kind of device that lets them just violate continuity and. Well, basically the. Do- there's been all season that the Doctor's death was a fixed point in time, so you couldn't stop it happening. And, um, yeah, the episode rolls around the fact that someone does try to stop it happening, and that's not possible. I see. Well, I mean, the, the uh, so I'm underschooled on this matter, having not seen much of this half of the season, if any, actually. But um, the word from uh, one DeRay Carrier, who was a guest on a previous incarnation of this show, was that um, the episode was basically fine, and it tied up some plot lines that she wasn't very happy with. Yeah, and one thing which I found really hard all season, and my wife commented on this as well, is that at the end of last season, they sort of had lost... uh, Amy Pond had lost her daughter and then she seemed to be very okay very quickly in the new series that she never got to see her daughter grow up which isn't cool uh, I, I, she make, she refers to that again in this but she got over it too quickly Huh. So, 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 and it wasn't the case of her of the show just not showing the the interlude where she was sad. No, no. It, well, you never know with Doctor Who because there, there is sort of, the second half of the series covers several hundreds of years and you you don't know what happened to that. But obviously, Amy can't have experienced that because she doesn't age. I think I'm missing something. About well, the, doc- the Doctor we know um, is a hundred years older by the end of the season. Okay. Because he's gone off and done stuff. Hmm. Didn't Torchwood also come back recently? Yeah, so we had uh, Miracle Day of Torchwood, which was a ten-part series following one story, which I always think's because they sort of did this with Children of the Earth. They had a long series of 
just the same story. And it, I think from Miracle Days, they dragged it on a bit too long with 10 episodes. But conceptually, I thought it was a really good idea. What would happen if people stopped dying? And how they dealt with that death. So in the case of Torchwood, um, they went for the idea that life just kept going, but you didn't repair yourself. Oh, so people uh, didn't die, but they got older and older. Yeah, so some people repaired themselves, but only if it was reasonable, it seemed. So this is where it gets a bit murky. So someone who had a small injury would still repair, but someone who has a chronic heart attack and ends up unconscious would stay that way. And then, of course, you have a problem that the population keeps growing exponentially. Uh, the other thing was the standard situation where non-viable ch- babies would get aborted wasn't happening as common at one point so they're having a lot more children than would normally and of course those children are far from healthy hmm. the, the, the whole the whole you know aging population problem reminded me a lot of um children of men which i guess had the had the opposite premise namely uh, no births anymore um and yeah that, that, that was quite an interesting study in how you know how humanity would react to that yeah, I mean, I never got a chance to see children of Earth. If I remember correctly, it made the one person who did have a child incredibly valuable. Yeah, well, the, you know, the, the, the film ends up, or the film and the book end, end up following the sort of resistance movement and so on and so on. Um, and it, came, it came out in the film version more like a war documentary, which, which worked very well. Um, but it, but and it also gave them a good chance to show sort of protest scenes and all these things that we see where um, like society stops functioning. Yeah, that's exactly what happened in. Um uh, miracle day was society just couldn't function in a way we consider it today because you suddenly have a large number of dead who aren't actually dead uh, and of course you've got people still being born you can't get food so they went for a, basically martial law is probably the best way to describe it yeah they went for martial law and children of men so it's also what ended up with uh, the uh, food shortage which um, uh, many have been promising will happen at some point on in re- reality as well well it's I don't think they really commented on the food shortage. They more commented on, because it more focused around the fact one particular pharmaceutical company had stockpiled the painkillers and pharmaceutical supplies that would be needed for this situation. And then that was the mystery, was how they knew it was going to come. Okay. Because obviously once you get into a situation, uh, one of the characters in it gets terminally, you know, gets a pole for his chest in a car accident where you normally expect him to die. And then he spends the rest of the series on painkillers, as a lot of other people are, because they can't cope with the fact they have a massive hole through them. Hmm. But, but yeah, so this, this kind of ends up being, uh, as all the best sort of what-if shows are, a commentary on, you know, these the logical extension of things which actually happen day-to-day. Yeah, and I think the ending they came up with, which was a bit magical and a bit fanciful, uh, which, let's be honest, you need something magical to make the whole situation happen, wasn't awful. Um, I don't think it was the best story I've come across, but for a torture story, I thought it was pretty good. Fair enough. Torchwood, I mean, the first two series of it were awful, as in I haven't watched half of it. Yeah, I, I gave up very, very quickly. Yeah, so um, I think that leads us on to our next thing. Um, this is going to sound a bit weird on the radio. Um, it's a bit of music that has been re... Re-orchestrated re- 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 for, for an, an unusual duo of instruments, shall we yes. say. Uh, you may have seen these instruments, but never thought that they could be instruments before. Okay, so I'll put that on the air and uh, give us some feedback.
and across Cambridge. Your station, your Cam FM. So that was um, the Imperial March by, I suppose. It was by John William. Uh, yeah, actually, I, 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 I'll take a word for it. I don't know who the original composer of the Star Wars theme was, but that was an arrangement for uh, two three-and-a-half-inch floppy disk drives uh, by a... Um, so I, couldn't, I looked for a real name for the, for the author, and I couldn't find it. It's, um, th- this person goes with the name of Silent. Uh, if, you, if you look on YouTube for the video of Imperial March on floppy disks, um, it's, it, uh, see, seeing the little lights on the front uh, adds something to it as well. I, I wish you'd just gone for an older floppy disk drive. I got you know a good five and a quarter. Maybe, maybe he could do a symphony with like you know the the, the double bass section could be the you know eight inch floppy disks, cellos could be the five and a half, five and a quarter, and so on. But so I had no idea how this would work because everyone's heard the sort of the, the noises that uh, these floppy drives make. Um, but it turns out actually it's quite simple. Um, apparently the um, the sound is just is just from the sound of the magnetic 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 head moving up and down to read different sectors of the disk. So he just programmed a custom controller for the floppy disk drives to move it at a particular speed. It's very similar to what someone did with a scanner as well. Uh, oh, so so like a symphony of scanners. Well, one scanner, and they got the notes out by making the scanner because the scan. Uh, this is a flatbed scanner, so you get the um, the light mechanism and the detector to move up and down at different paces and you get sound that way. I guess people uh, will turn almost anything into an instrument. If given enough time and a big enough grant. Yeah, I guess it's, uh, Grants may be packets of crisps. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be surprised given that SAP, who we heard at the start of the show, uh, specialise in turning you know, squ- squeaky dolls and boxes and things into instruments. And, and a collection of, um, of uh, bones collected from a local butcher. I was worried where that was going for a moment. <laughs> So, um, of course, the Imperial March is slightly topical for some people. Yeah. So, if you're, if you were one of the people queuing up to um, buy the Blu-ray version of the Star Wars trilogy plus a bit, because um, you can get both, I think. Um, George Lucas has done it again. He's gone and edited Star Wars to make a set of fans very upset. Now, it doesn't really bother me too much this, but apparently Darth Vader says no at a point he didn't used to say no. I think mean, it seems like a really petty thing to be tinkering with, you know. Yeah, I, I kind of, I don't completely get why the fans get so upset, but at the same time, I do get why. Don't I think George Lucas is worse for bothering to touch it? I mean, why would you want to add in things of a movie that sold well? And a lot of people suggest that he, it means he doesn't actually know why it sold well in the first place. So, he, so, so, so he thinks that it would sell even better if he tinkered with it some more. Yeah. Or I suppose like it could be a, a misguided effort to think, well, if people are going to be buying this again, they must well be buying a slightly different movie than they bought last time. But he's actually gone and said that he doesn't want to sell the old versions that people want. Oh right, because there's, there's in fact some, some versions where he destroyed the originals and they were recovered from you know laserdisc or some kind of obscure format that died in the late 80s. Yeah. So. I mean, I can get that, because the people are really passionate about Star Wars. I mean, I liked his kid, but I don't get that uptight about it. Now, you you want what you saw as a kid. You don't want to see what someone's remade later. You certainly don't want to see the original trilogy. Particularly since the, the, these kinds of films, um, particularly, you know, f- films which was used at the time pioneering special effects uh, only really work if you now if you see them as they were then and see them in context if they've had modern tinkering I mean this happened before with, with Star Wars so uh, you, you, you add tinkering and then it, it makes the how primitive things were look bad whereas if they can be you know, enjoyed as classics from a bygone era then yeah I mean I think the special edition Star Wars special effects when I saw it which are really obvious because they're too new to be the originals look worse than the originals do 
they, they looked kind of incongruous. I mean, it took me a long time to actually see any of these things for the first time, so maybe I'm not the right person to ask about this kind of thing. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm very happy for people to want it left alone. But yeah, it's, it's amazing how much internet outrage comes out about these things. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder, because they're, they're going to release all the Star Trek Next Generation on Blu-ray, and I wonder if we see anything similar to that, because they're going back to the films and redoing all the special effects so they can re-render them. But that kind of seems reasonable, because they don't have the special effects at the same resolution I have for film. Oh, okay. So so, so, so the film was filmed on some kind of, you know, well, I guess on film, but the special effects would have been created on f- for a more primitive res- resolution than we have now. Yeah, and I also don't know Star Trek what that means special effects because all the ships and all that stuff was done with models from star trek i don't think they got well certainly the next generation was all models and it was um babylon 5 which was pioneering with its use of cg which of course looks a lot worse than the next generation does now because models could be made very well it reminds me of um when the aronofsky's film the fountain was made uh I guess five or six years ago, uh, he tried to avoid using uh, computer-generated effects and used lots of extreme close-ups of uh, chemical reactions and things because he thought that, that that might age better than the computer generation of like 2004 or whenever it was made. Which, considering that movie has a guy flying around in bubbles, is um, quite impressive. Well, th- that bubble was a um, was still of a chemical reaction. Of course, they had to use a computer to superimpose the guy in the tree inside the bubble. But the bu- like all, all of the space imagery is just extreme extreme close-ups under a microscope that's, that's i agree with that i think that's a really good way to go if you can avoid using something which you can't trust to date go with something that looks looks good yeah and, and it worked well the film was beautiful it may not have been the masterpiece people hoped it would be but it was it, it looked incredible yeah i think some of the casting was um questionable was it hugh jackman who was the lead character in that yeah well the, the casting had a sort of checkered history um, I was reading about it a while ago and he, they uh, the, the film had lots of stops and starts they had to keep you know, recasting because actors were busy with other films and so on um, so I, I mean I guess m- m- maybe that shows maybe it does I, I still enjoyed it though it's it's a really weird film yeah it, it looks good it looks good it sounds good it's okay Yep. Okay, I think that's time to go on to our next track. I'm trying to remember which CD deck I've been I'm pretty sure I've been CD1. Otherwise, you get the Imperial March all over again, which I'm sure you can cope without. Here you go.
welcome back to the Science of Fiction with me and Will Thompson. Don't forget, you can email in anything you feel like at studio at camfm.co.uk. But if you email in something totally offensive and rude, we probably won't read it out. Uh, I, guess you, I guess you could try and do something like have every other word be offensive and then ask ask people listening to the show again to press, you know, to just to mute their microphone on and off all the time. <laughs> Though it would be a long way to go to get your message read out on radio. So, yeah. Yeah, well, we, we'll probably read it out. We'll just censor it before it gets read. So, do you want to back announce that track? Yeah, that was um, Trails by Asobi Sexu, uh, which was very tenuously related to some recent scientific developments. Uh, it, it talks about, you know, letting the light come in and uh, talks about strings, which I think have been postulated for a possible explanation for one of the recent scientific breakthroughs. This would, of course, be the um, neutrinos that went faster than light. Of course, there are, there are a, t- a ton of jokes came out of this. Well, I, I quite like subatomic passport jokes. They're not actually very good. Uh, it's like a neutron walks into a bar. The barman says, no charge. <laughs> the barman says, we don't serve faster than light neutrinos here. A neutrino walks into a bar. <laughs> that is awful. Because it used to be one was a neutrino walked into the bar and said, don't worry, I'm just passing through, because neutrinos <laughs> are subatomic particles that don't interact with anything. Um, these jokes can't be used at most dinner parties. Well, it depends what kind of dinner party you go to. Oh, well, yeah, but... You know, it, it's in, in you know, a city like Cambridge, there's you know, probably more, more often than not people to, like talking about particles. I don't know. But neutrinos are awesome because there's an experiment done a little while ago, probably last year, where someone just took a photograph of the sun using a neutrino camera, so something saw neutrinos. But what made this utterly awesome was they did it in the middle of the night, taking the photo through the Earth. Oh, wow. So they, so could you see the outline of... The, I guess, I guess the, the whole Earth would be in the way, so you just literally just see the sun. Yeah, you, you just saw a yellow patch where the sun was and i mean it was a high resolution it it was a just a proving a point but it was brilliant conceptually that you have a photo with something the size of the earth and way and you just have black bits where the sun isn't and yellowy bits where the sun is and well yes i know presumably color doesn't make sense of course data and then you color it in yellow because it makes the sun look like the sun yeah Oh, fascinating. Yeah, I, I thought it was brilliant. I think they had to, all they had to do to do it as well, all they had to do was get a neutrino detector. And this wasn't one of these huge ones that's like a big vat of water. It was sort of a big, more mobile thing. That so it's, And then what they did was put it at the bottom of a very deep hole to stop interference. Hmm. Yeah, I guess like, inter- interference is one of, the, one of the things that's just been postulated for why this uh, recent uh, discovery might not be real. Yeah, I, I mean, my problem is there's so many really boring reasons why it could be wrong, systematic error and things like that, and they're all things that the people have discovered that said, look, this could be why it is. It's not like they're sitting there pretending they don't know that they can make an error. They're just going, can we get someone else to check it? Which, of course, is really difficult when you have the most powerful particle accelerator in the world to find someone else who can do the experiment. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things I think is funny about this, though, is that um, as and when someone figures out why the experiment was, was flawed or whatever, like assume, assuming people discover that this, in fact, is not the case and that these neutrinos were not traveling faster than light, that's probably not going to be such big news. So for, so for a while now, there will be this sort of, in the minds of a certain subset of the, of the public, that neutrinos might go faster than light. So this is, might be the kind of thing which might start cropping up in, you know, sort of time travel fiction and so on. Um, so I, I wondered to what effect the, you know, pu- the headline worthiness of discoveries or theories uh, affects how much they're used in films and books. Um, certain, well, it's, it's sometimes the other way around, though, because obviously Clark's been particularly good at making up stuff before it happens. 
Hmm. But I've going back to this whole thing about neutrinos going through the Earth. Of course, this is one thing that amazed me about the neutrino experiment is they detected the neutrinos in Italy, didn't they? Mm-hmm. So they basically fired it through the Earth because it was a straight line between the two. So you just neutrinos, you don't have to worry about things in the way. So you just put two two uh, a detector and, a, and an emitter somewhere under a mountain in two countries. Well, I think they just pointed the beam to the detector. But it was another experiment. I, I, I think they just didn't have to worry about where the detector was. So they fired it and hoped for the best. Well, more and then and then ex- extensively measured the, the distance between yeah. them using you know G- G- GPS and you know tracking for the movement of the, the movement of the tectonic plates of the Earth to you know account m- more accurately for the di- for the distance. I had no idea GPS was so accurate until I looked into how they'd measured you know the the, the shifting of Italy during a recent minor earthquake. Well, GPS is and isn't accurate. It can, triangulation can be very accurate. You've just right. got to use enough of it. I get, yeah, I, I, so my, I, I, my car I gets lost regularly. <laughs> well, accurate for tracking the movement of continents, maybe not so accurate for figuring out whether or not you could drive through a river. Well, it's also the cost of a chip. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, also the map data is sometimes lacking. But, yeah, locks seem to be... They should be down They should be down to centimetres, and or, but often you seem to get tens of metres from car GPSs, and they just cheat by assuming you're not driving in a field. Which is a reasonable assumption, unless we're a neutrino. Yes. Do neutrinos get GPS units? Apparently these ones did. <laughs> okay, so um, should we move on to the next track there? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's that's getting strained, that link, isn't it? Ah, but this, this works well, because this track is called Between the Lines. Ah, right, here we go. <laughs> Blind, we can still see the truth. 
across Cambridge. Your station, your Cam FM. So that was Between the Lines by Bonobo, which is my favourite type of monkey. It's, a, it's an excellent kind of monkey. Um, yeah, I've, I've come to realise I actually quite a lot of, quite a lot of, like quite a lot of bands named after um, animals. There's, there's bonobo, caribou, and various others. You know. Oh well, um, what's but, your but, favourite but, but, monkey? Um, let's go with it. Let's, let's, let's go. Let's go with a gibbon. All right, I, I, a gibbon. I, I'm not really a monkey expert. Is, is a gibbon a monkey or an ape? Um, listeners, tell us: Is a gibbon a monkey or an ape? I, I, I'm used to my monkey. I, I got corrected because I thought chimpanzees were monkeys, and I got told they're actually apes. They're, 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 the, cl- they're the closest uh, primate to humans. Yeah, some of that too, which kind of surprised me. Yeah, been, maybe they've been reading um, the Third Chimpanzee by Jared Diamond. It was an excellent book, which I recommend to everyone. Well, there we go. No, I d- well, we've got another book to read. Absolutely, but on a, on a less uh, monkey-themed note, uh, so that that was that album was from uh, that track was from an album called Days to Come, uh, and it reminded me of a film I saw at the uh, film festival recently titled uh, Dimensions: A Line, A Loop, A Tangle of Threads, um, which was a, uh, a kind of uh, I want to say low budget, but it, it was kind of a lowish budget. Uh, uh, Prime a low budget. Similar. I, the, 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 the authors, the, the author and the director actually uh, sold their house to fund the making of the film. And they filmed it entirely on DSLR cameras. Um, but it was a. Uh, they did a house episode entirely on DSLR cameras. Went re- it looked really good because they were doing it in really tight places, so they worked really well. And they also give a completely different focal effect. Yeah, the, the focal effect was really interesting. There were a few scenes in Dimensions where it worked very well. They had. Um, it gave a you know, very, very clear, like. Dem- dem- demarcation between the people who are the focus of the scene and then just a few metres behind them people will be completely out of focus and this is why I hate 3D huh. because in 3D if you do that you can't look at things you don't want you, they don't want you to look at because they're out of focus which isn't natural because it's 3D surely I can change my focal depth no yeah, but, but but and it also kind of tied in with the theme, theme of the film very well. It was about a it was a, it was a period time travel drama. So it was set in the twenties and forties, twenties uh, and thirties, I think, um, uh, in in Cambridge. It, it was you know, a local film, which everyone should support. Yay! It, it sold out the four nights at the film festival or something. It was you know it had it had its flaws, uh, but it was you know a great concept and quite well executed. But they had a um, a motif for time travel where they had they, they they said it was you know time is the fourth dimension and people can't normally see the fourth to mention but you catch glimpses of it and to sort of give the analogy they had had people wear um, black cardboard masks with a very thin slit cut um, across where their eyes were so they could just see one very thin line of the world and so this sort of this was meant to be the, the, the kind of analogy of how, how we perceive time is the same way these people were perceiving the three dimensional space in which we live yeah, well, that's sort of a Flatlander idea as well. Right, I hadn't thought of that, actually. Um, remember, who, remember what Flatlander is? Oh, fl- I can't remember who it's by, but Flatlander's the um, story about Victorian society, actually. But it's a society where you have triangles and circles and squares all talking. And they interact, and then basically one of them gets to see the other dimensions. Uh, okay. None of them believe the extra dimensions exist. So this is kind of, you know, yeah, some kind of first contact story, or, you know, someone, but they're seen as some kind of witch, I guess, you know. Yeah, well, it's it's very, as I say, it's Victorian, so it's seen from the religious element that there aren't more dimensions, and, but then um, a sphere from another dimension takes one of the characters on a journey to see what all the different things are. Hmm, yeah, so, so, so a magical journey where where they can see um, slices of each dimension, I guess? Uh, well, well, because... Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe this is a spoiler right now. No, no. It, well, it's a very old book. Um, though it's a very recent movie. It's been remade a couple of times. It's hmm. 
it, they can see how so they come across a line and they see it from a two from a three-dimensional perspective in the movie because to be honest the whole thing's done from a three-dimensional perspective to make it easy so we see the flatlanders walking around from above mm-hmm. is how it's filmed uh i haven't actually read the original book but it's it's, you can't really do it visually without it being a really odd movie. Absolutely. So, and then the, but they do show quite well in the three-dimensional objects intersecting the plane because it means to a flatlander, a sphere is a circle that changes size. Right. Okay. So yeah. So uh, yeah, as they as they move through time, which for them, which is for us, depth, then they're yep. mov- they're moving through the sphere. Interesting. But I think the um, you mentioned Primer and, that, and Dimensions like stylistically is not that similar to it but um, I mean it's, it's much less dark it's uh, much less it's much less of a sci-fi movie but um, it had a sort of similar kind of um, they laid out some kind of vague justification for why the time travel element worked but that, but it was ma- mainly a justification for the rest of the film but yeah so yeah if, if you enjoyed Primer you should check out Dimensions Very oh good. that's good um so should we finish off with a track? Yeah, this is, this, is, this, is a, this is a track which I thought might be appropriate for uh, the De- Deus Ex discussion. But actually, as it turned out, the Deus Ex theme was more appropriate. Yep, well, uh, thanks for listening, and here's our exit track. They gave me a test to make me the best that I could be They knew all along that there was something wrong with me We picked out a spot and made a hole While you're in glass and stainless steel Now I can imagine how I feel Got a new heart, I got a new heart Got a new heart, I got a new artificial heart It's not a real heart, it's not a real heart It's not a real heart, it is a real artificial heart There's blood on the bed, but here in my head, I'm feeling fine. It's easy to sleep when I'm not buzzing all the time. So funny the way I was before. Once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was him, but now he's me. I don't care for you It's not an emergency 